So this morning, it is Epiphany Sunday. I'll explain in a little bit in case you're wondering what exactly is Epiphany Sunday. We'll explain that in just a few minutes. What I want to talk about first uh, comes to us from the gospel according to Matthew. It describes the visit of the Magi, the wise men. Listen to what Matthew writes. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. So we have talked from time to time, usually around the beginning of a new year, about these wise men, these magi. It's not a new subject to this church because when it gets right down to it, we have a lot in common with the Magi. And so it behooves us at least once a year at the beginning of the year to understand who these men were and why they are important to us. Now, I have always been fascinated by the story of the wise men, the three kings, as they're called in some countries, the Magi. Tradition says that there are three. Scripture doesn't support any particular number. It's a logical number because it does mention the three gifts. What are they? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But wait, there's myrrh. Three gifts fit nicely to the narrative. There's also no mention of them being royalty either in Scripture, really. But their gifts are certainly indicative of substantial wealth. You don't just bestow on someone gold, frankincense, and myrrh unless you have the ability, the means to do that. So the only characteristic of these wise men 
that's truly supported by Scripture is that they are wise, learned men with a knowledge of navigation and astronomy and also the ability to discern truth from deception. So when you put up your nativity, your manger scene, traditionally, the wise men are right there with the shepherds and the animals worshiping at the manger of Jesus, presenting their gifts alongside the shepherds. But when we read the scripture, we see that some time has passed between the manger scene and when these wise men eventually show up. I mean, when they see the star, they have a long way to travel by camel. And so they arrive probably a year, maybe even two years after the birth. And they find the child not in the manger, but in the house. All of that's well and good. We, it's, it's an endearing story of Christmas and the birth of our Savior. But the thing that fascinates me the most about the story of the Magi is that these men, thousands of miles away from Bethlehem, are willing to investigate the sign that they were given. They had a hunger within them for answers to the questions that were raised in their hearts and minds by the appearance of an unfamiliar star up in the heaven. Their perseverance in traveling great distances, seeking answers to questions rooted in a foreign belief system. They weren't Jewish. Pouring over the writings, the scrolls of the Torah that was not the foundational document of their faith. Writings that were counter to the culture that they were familiar with. Going outside of their comfort zone. In other words, they had to be willing to look outside the box, go against the grain. They had to live out on the edge in order to gain the knowledge and understanding that they were seeking. The reason that fascinates me is because it makes me wonder how many of us today have that kind of hunger for the truth. How many of us living in the world today have the willingness and the initiative to set out on a journey of discovery based simply on the signs that we've been provided, signs that are given in Scripture, signs given in our own personal experience with the prevenient grace, the justifying grace, the sanctifying grace of God. How many of us are, have a working knowledge of what even those different types of grace are and why they're important to us? How many of us living today are even curious about, let alone willing to discover what those terms mean? How many of us are willing to take the initiative to understand even the basic tenets of our faith? 
how many people out there beyond those doors are willing to drive down the street to their local church? Never mind travel a thousand miles by camel or donkey or horse to spend some time learning all they possibly can about the God who created them and his son who came to save them. I mean, when you get in your car and you drive home, you will pass a church probably every few hundred yards as you drive out of this community. And every one of them has a Bible study or two. And all of them have more empty seats than they do occupied seats on any given Sunday. Or at any given Bible study. See, if every person in this community that needed to know Jesus actually attended those services and those Bible studies, we'd need to build a bigger church. But that's not our reality, is it? Now, we've defied the term low Sunday this morning because all the usual faces are here. And yet, there's more empty seats than there are. That's not a criticism of us as a congregation. That's just an observation of the need for Jesus beyond those doors. So the story of the Magi is important because the thing is, all of us were created by our Father God to be the Magi. Our true nature is to hunger for a relationship with God. Our true nature is to seek Him out and to not be satisfied with unanswered questions. When we follow our true nature, then we are the magi. We are on the hunt for the truth. We're looking for the revelation of Christ in our lives. We are looking for the epiphany, the understanding of who He is and who we are in relationship to Him. We're looking for epiphany. It's the light of understanding that penetrates the darkness of ignorance, the light of life that cuts through the darkness of the shadow of death under which we have all been existing since the fall. You see, when you seek the face of God, when you seek Christ, then you are the Magi. And so we have to ask the question, why is it important to seek Him? It's important to take the initiative to seek Him because not to seek Him, not to know Him, means spiritual death, eternal separation from God, unspeakable isolation and desolation. Happy New Year. <laughs> Revelation 21.8 tells us, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the polluted, the murderers, the fornicators, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. But to seek Him means that we will find Him. And when we find Him, we find life and truth. Revelation 21, 1-7 tells us, what it will be like for those that seek him. Listen to this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. 
and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them as their God, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this. For these words are trustworthy and true. And then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Those who conquer will inherit these things and I will be their God and they will be my children. See, we're at day number two of a brand new year and already you are ahead of the game. It's a good feeling, isn't it? You're ahead of the game because you have taken advantage of an opportunity to meet together with your church family and worship the God who brings the peace and the hope and the love and the joy. The opportunities that are laid out before us, if we'll only take the initiative and act on them, This is the promise of the brand new year. Now, last year, we made commit our watchword for 2021. Well, I want to resubmit to you. Recommit. Commit to make seeking him your priority this year. Recommit to involving Jesus in your life. Recommit to studying His Word, to sharing His message, to equipping yourself to be a minister of the faith. I want us all to recommit to learning all that we can about who He is and who we are. I want you to recommit to Bible study. Recommit to church attendance above any and all activities. Missing the opportunity to worship him on Sunday morning should be the exception. Commit to serving others. Commit to putting Jesus in the center of everything this year. See, commitment is covenant. And we worship a God who is both a covenant maker and a covenant keeper. Commitment is covenant. See, Ecclesiastes 3 tells us that there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. And so in the spirit of Ecclesiastes 3, let's make this year the time and the season for recommitting to seeking God's face and abiding in his perfect will, which will result in and are abiding this year in the perfect peace that he brings. Couldn't we use 
all of us a year of peace. Abiding in Him brings that peace. No matter what the year throws at us, who knows, right? If the past couple of years have been anything to us, it should be a lesson to us that we have no idea what's coming. But as followers of Christ, we worship a God who is even right now going ahead of us, making the rough places plain, straightening out all the curves that life is going to throw us and giving us his perfect peace if we just abide with him through whatever this year brings. That's a reason for celebrating the new year. None of us has to go forward, not another step forward, not another day without the peace of Christ in our lives. Hallelujah. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Stand. We will use our blue book, blue hymnal, page 395. We'll join our voices together for our hymn of commitment. Take time to be holy.